Thank you. Uh, Terry, I'm, is there anything you can't do? He plays the guitar and the keyboard. I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> well, amen. I could listen to that uh, for hours and hours. Uh, praise God. Uh, we want to bring glory to his name. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4, we run into a, uh, one of my favorite uh, encounters that Jesus uh, has, and I've been wanting to uh, preach this for a while, and God uh, always, uh, we were going to wait. Uh, and so today, uh, God, uh, I feel God leading that we go in this direction for the next two weeks. We will be in John chapter 4. It's that good. You can't get it done in one week. Uh, so uh, if you're here this week, well, you just got to come next week. That's the rule. Uh, so you can hear uh, both messages, uh, but uh, we want to uh, see this moment and what a powerful, uh, earth-shattering moment that happens at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. When I was a boy, uh, I know this is hard to believe uh, for those of you who know me, uh, but uh, when I was a boy, I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, <laughs> uh, in my family, I guess those of you who knew me when I was a child say, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I by far surpassed my brothers, uh, my brother and my two sisters for whoopings. I think you could combine all of their whoopings and it was not close to the amount of whoopings that I uh, had received in my lifetime. Uh, I uh, would get in trouble for a lot of things. One of the things uh, I got in trouble for uh, was... Uh, we uh, we didn't have a lot of money when I was a kid, uh, and so... Um there were times uh, I would have Cheerios, okay, uh, and uh, have to use water with my Cheerios. Anybody done water with Cheerios before? Praise God. Uh, what a good time. Uh, so we, we weren't uh, one of the richest families uh, in the neighborhood. There were times that were tight, but my dad, uh, he loved... Pepsi. In fact, he still loves uh, Pepsi to this day. That is his favorite uh, drink, and so we always had some Pepsi uh, in the house, and as a young boy, Pepsi tastes a lot better than water. I want you guys to know that right now. It tastes really good. So uh, I would sneak uh, uh, some Pepsi, right? So And Dad would get a lot of them, right? He'd get them on a discount, and so he'd have a lot of them. And so he wouldn't really notice uh, when one or two went missing. And, and uh, I would, so I would get a, a Pepsi, and I would sneak out back. And oh, oh boy, those are great days. Uh, uh, <laughs> those were bad days. Shame on me. My children should never do that. Uh, sneak things behind their father's back, but uh, I would do that, and I, oh, I love, but here's the problem uh, with pop, uh, drinking Pepsi, here was the problem, it never quenched my thirst, like, I think they put something in the bottle, because it tastes really good, and everything's fine until that last drink, and then that last drink makes you really thirsty, like you need to drink more, and so <laughs> sometimes I would <laughs> sneak in and get one or two more, and, and what I've learned uh, with my father, uh, uh, pop's not going to do the trick, it's not going to quench your thirst, it may taste better than water, but it, it's not going to quench your thirst. But I did learn something as a child. Never, ever, 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 I'm passing this knowledge on to you as your pastor who cares about you. Never, ever take my dad's last Pepsi. Don't do that. That's, 
I've received lots of whippings in my life. I broke my sister's leg. I'll share that story in another sermon someday. <laughs> I've broken my sister's leg. I've, uh, <laughs> I've disobeyed. I've sassed my mother. These are all big whippings that I received in my life that I can remember. Uh, but no whipping it compares to the whipping I received when you take the last Pepsi. Uh, that's bad. You can't take the last Pepsi from Dad. And so uh, always sneaking this pop and getting something to drink. I never really thought, and I really, I never never got caught unless you took the last Pepsi, and then you were in a lot of trouble. That's true even to this day. So if you visit my father or go and see him, don't take his last Pepsi. He'll be upset. I wonder what happens sometimes when we chase after things, when we long for things, when we search for things that'll make us better, but it doesn't quite ever quench our thirst to be righteous, to be all that he's called us to be. How often do we find ourselves in a dry and weary land when we're searching to be spiritually who God wants us to be, but we find ourselves thirsty? Jesus uh, runs into a situation like this. He's uh, on his way to Galilee. He's leaving uh, Jerusalem on his way to Galilee. The Bible says he had to go through Samaria. Uh, Usually if he were a good young Jewish man, he would go all the way around Samaria. Don't want to get any of the dirt on your feet uh, from Samaria. But (laughs) Jesus said, I'm not walking around. I'm going straight through. I'm just going to cut right through. It's a shortcut. Uh, And we're going to go there. And he stops. Uh, The disciples are going into town. And he stops at a well to rest. And he has this encounter that forever changes the perspective of people as to why he came. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Gospel of John, chapter 4, beginning to read in verse 7, reads like this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, And who it it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for this encounter. Lord, I pray that you challenge us this morning, each and every one of us, no matter where we are in our journey with you. Lord, may we be challenged to go deeper in our walk with you. Lord, may we begin to see your passion and your love. Lord, carry us these next two weeks as we look at this moment. And Lord, may it forever change the way that we live our lives for you. Lord, I ask, as I always do, 
that you hide me behind the cross. May it be you that is seen and not me, your words that are spoken and not my own. I love you, Jesus, and I ask this all in your precious, holy, and wonderful name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Oh, wow. Oh, what a powerful story. Some of us have heard this. Uh, maybe when you were younger, you heard this story. Maybe you're hearing it for the very first time this morning, but it is one of the most powerful uh, stories. It's one of the most powerful uh, encounters that Jesus has uh, as he's going through his regular everyday life. And the very first thing that I see as he encounters this woman, this Samaritan woman who comes out to the well, the very first thing that I see in this story is that nothing is hidden from the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. You see, Jesus is resting at Jacob's well, and it's around noon, okay? Uh, I don't know why he was there. We can only speculate why he was there, but I believe that he was there sitting at that well because nobody is coming out at noon. He doesn't want to be bothered. Uh, he wants to sit in a place where he can rest and not be bothered. That's just crummy theology. That's just what I think. Uh, that's a, he's, he's trying to rest, and in comes uh, a Samaritan woman. She's walking up to the well. No one should be out there to bother him in the middle of the day. Uh, in fact, all of the women and all those who come to draw water would always do it either in the morning or in the evening. And if they, they usually would draw water at two times a day. It was early in the morning and it was in the evening so that they could avoid the sun in the hottest part of the day. They, nobody wanted to be out there uh, because it's way too hot at noon to go and get the water and then carry the water on your shoulders all the way back. So there were two times they would go and get water. This is not one of them. It's the hottest part of the day. Nobody should be at the well. Jesus should be able to rest and relax, be able to collect his thoughts, prepare his sermons. I mean, this should be a great moment for him. In fact, anyone who comes at this time must be avoiding people. If you come to the well at this time, you must be avoiding people. That's probably why Jesus was sitting there. He was wanting to, wanting to rest and not have anybody bother him. I don't know, uh, but he, he's obviously there. And anyone who comes to that well, especially to draw water, you're coming because you want to avoid people. You don't want people to uh, talk to you. You don't want people to talk about you. And so you're just going to show up at a time when you know that nobody will be there so this woman that is coming to the well uh, she can't be happy to see somebody sitting at the well but this woman that is coming she she just can't take the ridicule or the embarrassment anymore she can't do it obviously uh, she could have came in the morning or she could come later in the evening but she just can't do it anymore she can't stand what people say about her uh, she can't stand what people think about her she can't stand uh, living in that bubble she can't take it anymore she is happy to keep her private life private that's how she wants her life to be she doesn't want to show up when everybody else is out there people will be asking her questions people will be talking about her in fact, what we know of her, what we're going to find out about her, we see that she had given up hope of ever holding her head high again. She had given up the hope of ever holding her head high again. She had given up the hope of ever being restored. She had given up the hope of ever being in the center of God's will anymore. She, she just given up. 
Her life is a mess. Preacher, how do you know her life's a mess? Well, uh, well, I know because what Jesus is about to say to her, but uh, I know her life's a mess, but I know I could tell by the fact that she came to the well at this time that her life is a mess. Her life is a mess partly because of what others have done to her, but mainly her life is a mess because of the choices she has made. She's an outcast in her society. Nobody wants to hang out with her. Nobody wants to socialize with her. Nobody wants to be caught talking to her. So it just costs too much. It hurts too much. It bothers her too much to go to the well at noon. She doesn't want to do it anymore. She can't take it anymore. Her life's a mess. She's an outcast in her society. But when she comes, Jesus wants to forever change her. This is good news, church. Preacher's going to get excited and start running the aisles. This is good news. Jesus wants to forever change her. I don't know when it was, but I think it's when she came up the long, dusty path. As soon as he saw her walking, Jesus looked and said, Oh, I want to bring restoration to her. I want to change her life forever and ever. It doesn't matter the choices she's made. Jesus wants to forever change her. But first, before he can do any of that, before he could change her, before he could restore her, before he could totally uh, change her life and give her a new relationship, first, she must confess the mess. Amen. Took me all week to think of that, church. Amen. She must confess the mess. You see, we can't go any farther and we can't move forward if we're going to pretend things are okay when they're not. When our lives are a mess, we can't pretend that everything's just fine. You see, there is no point in trying to hide our sins from God. While I was able to sneak a Pepsi or two past my dad, there's no point in us trying to hide our sins from God. You can hide it from the preacher. <laughs> We're easily fooled. Uh, you can hide it from your neighbors and your friends. Hey, they're easily fooled. You can hide it from your family. You can hide it from, you just go down the list. But before Jesus could forever change her, she has to confess the mess. There's no point in trying to hide or pretend everything's okay because Jesus knows her from the inside out. You see, the only one we are able to really fool, if I think I could fool God by uh, acting good or trying to look good or, or trying to pretend I'm good, the only one that I fool is not God. He knows everything. The only one I really end up fooling is me. I just fool myself into thinking everything's okay. And here she comes to the well, and she's not looking. <laughs> that day she went to the well, she wasn't looking to get her life forever changed. But Jesus was. And in order for the life to be changed, she had to confess the mess. And Jesus told her that he already knew everything about her. Whoa. Listen to what Jesus says. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus knows about her. It's in verse 16 through 18. Listen to what Jesus says. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said 
is quite true. Woo, praise God. She showed up at the well uh, to a complete stranger, and he knew everything about her. And the fact that he knew everything about her, he knew her mess. He knew her mess better than she knew her mess. And he knew it so well, and he wanted her to know, nothing is hidden from me. I can see everything. And the fact that I see everything, I see your mess. I see how bad the decisions were you made. I see how messed up your life is. I see why nobody wants to talk to you anymore. I see why you're coming to the well at noon. And after seeing all of that, I still want to change you. Got me to ask a question of myself. Am I willing to confess my mess? You see, my mess looks a lot different than everybody else's. Maybe it's the same, but I'd never tell anybody. But whatever my mess is, am I willing to confess my mess? Or do I go to church? Do I play the part hoping that he doesn't see? I see that nothing is hidden from the Lord. There's nothing I've done in my life or no action I've ever taken that uh, slips by God's eye. He's not watching me to punish me, but I cannot slip by uh, his love for me. He loves me so much. He knows everything that is going on in my heart and in my life, and he still loves me anyway. Praise God. That's a sermon we could preach for a month and a half. But Jesus does more You see, nothing is hidden from the Lord, and yet he still offers her restoration. He still offers her hope, forgiveness, to be restored. Not to be someone that's a Christian but lives with a bad past. We're talking somebody to totally be radically changed. The old is gone and the new has come, giving her a brand new life, a brand new hope, a brand new relationship. He still offers that to her, knowing all about her. You see, Jesus knew everything about her. He even knows things that he wished he didn't know about her. He knows everything, and he still loves, and he still wants to offer uh, hope. He still wants to offer restoration. I would be be exhausted. It's noon. It's in the heat of the day. Jesus could just let this one slide by. Jesus could just say, I still love you, and and just do your best. But no, Jesus is not going to give it up. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's resting by the well, but this is more important. You see, in the religious standards of the day, she was unworthy of forgiveness. Church, isn't this so much fun to hear about? Praise God. In the church standards of the day, she was unworthy of forgiveness. She was a Samaritan woman. They were the hated race. You see, uh, the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. They were the dogs. They really couldn't stand them, didn't like them. The Jews were the chosen race, but they really, really hated the Samaritans. They hated them because they mixed with the Gentiles. They were half-breeds. They were uh, folks who uh, should have lived the holy life but chose not to. And so there's uh, there's a cutoff between... Between Jews and Samaritans that's why they never walk through the land but here Jesus is so not only is she a Samaritan woman the hated race she's also known to be living in sin no respectable Jewish male would speak to such a person no respectable Jewish male would speak to such a person in private uh, let alone in a public location like a well where anybody could come at any moment nobody would speak to her 
Nobody religious, nobody that was uh, following the code and the standards, and, and nobody that understood what it was to be holy and live for God. Boy, they'd never talk to her in public. But Jesus did. <laughs> Jesus did. Jesus said, forget about all that stuff. You see, her need for restoration was more important to him than the rules. Oh, church. Her need for restoration, her need for hope was far more important to Jesus than the rules were. Oh boy, I know this isn't popular, but listen, she understood the rules. She knew the rules. Look at verse 9. She knew the rules of the day. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? You're not supposed to be talking to me. This is against the rules. You're not supposed to be doing Do you know who I am? Do you know where I live? Do you know what I've done? Yeah, I know all of that. Do you know you're not supposed to talk to me? Yeah, I know I'm not supposed to talk to you. But Jesus says, I have to tell you, the hope of restoration is not out of her reach. Oh, church. Ooh, this is exciting. I thought you'd be more excited at this point. I thought we'd be running the aisles. The hope of restoration is not beyond her reach. We're not talking somebody that goes to church every day, someone that follows all the rules, somebody that does what they're supposed to do. I, I mean, the hope of restoration should be within their reach. But here's somebody who's really messed up who really is in a life that, uh, of sin, somebody who Jesus shouldn't even be talking to. And Jesus says, the hope of restoration is not out of your reach. It's not something she has to earn back. She doesn't have to prove to others that somehow she saw the light and she's following Jesus. And give it a month or two, when everybody sees that your life is really changed, oh, then you can have restoration. No, Jesus says, you can have it right now. You don't have to earn it back. You don't have to prove to others. In fact, Jesus says to her, oh, I get all excited about about this because this is something I struggled with for a very very long time uh, and serving the Lord and being holy as he is holy and doing the very best I can I struggled with this this is a oh, man when I saw this it opened my eyes it showed me who Jesus really was you see Jesus tells her that all she really has to do is ask it can't be that easy preacher I know it can't, right? It's got to be harder than that. It's got to be more difficult. But Jesus says it's really that simple. All she really had to do was ask. Look what she says. Look what he says in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. That's all you had to do. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Oh, that's that restoration. That's that hope. All you had to do is ask. Preacher, it can't be that easy. <laughs> but it is. The more we read Scripture, you have not because you ask not. Uh, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Anyone who opens the door, anyone who answers, anyone who's willing to ask Jesus to come in, to be with him, he'll come. We just have to ask. You see, what kept her in bondage, uh, what kept her going to the well at noon every day, what kept her in that bondage was not the sins she had committed. That's not what kept her in bondage. That's not what held her back. It wasn't the sins she had committed or the choices she had made. That's not what held her back. What held her back was simply that she had never asked 
for living water. She'd never asked. It wasn't the sins that were holding her back. It was the fact that she never asked for living water. Oh, church, that really got under my skin. That really got me to uh, begin to take an evaluation of my life. And it got me to ask a question. Have I been missing restoration simply because I won't ask? Simply because I think I have to earn it? Simply because I think I have to prove it? Have I been missing restoration because I don't ask? Oh, that's what Jesus says. He wants to restore her, and all she simply has to do is ask. You see, I see that there's nothing hidden from the Lord, and that He still offers restoration uh, to all of us who would ask. But the last thing that I see is that He wants to give us a spring of water. He wants to give us a spring of water. You see, she grew up under a religious system. All of her context and everything she knows is in this religious system. If she followed the rules and said all the right things, maybe she could inherit eternal life. I mean, she's a Samaritan, but God is loving. God is gracious. And so if she followed the rules and did what she was supposed to do, there's a possibility that she could earn eternal life. But Jesus turns her religious system upside down. He messes with her religious system. In fact, he messes with everybody's religious system. He turns it on its head. He flips it upside down. He makes a mess out of everything. Uh, In fact, Listen to their exchange. Jesus is uh, speaking to her and they're, they're talking about this religious system and who's supposed to do what and how we're supposed to worship God. And listen to how Jesus turns the whole religious system upside down. Uh, it's in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Oh, you see the religious system. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from The Jews, that's Jesus. He's the salvation coming from the Jews. Verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Ooh, church, this is good news. This is great stuff. Jesus just turned the whole system upside down. Aren't we supposed to go here? Aren't we supposed to go there? Aren't I supposed to pray a certain way? Aren't I supposed to do something just this way or that way? Jesus says, listen, here's what God's looking for. He's spirit and he wants people to worship him in spirit. He wants to change who we are from the inside out and he's not worried about a location and he's not worried about a place. He's just worried about our souls. You see, Jesus came to do far more than just forgive sins. Church, don't get me in trouble. Don't throw tomatoes at me. But here's the truth. Jesus came to do far more than just forgive sins. I mean, that's enough. That's great that he forgives our sins and all we have to do is ask. You see, he did not come to start a new religious system. 
The Jews had their religious system, and he didn't come to start a new religious system. He didn't want to start another uh, system where you have to follow rules and go through different things. When I get in trouble, then I'm supposed to turn to him. If I'm in real trouble, I go to the preacher, and the preacher's supposed to tell me all the steps I must take in order to ask for forgiveness. That's a religious system, and that's not what Jesus came for. He didn't come for a religious system. He didn't come to start a new religious system. He didn't come so that, just as we learned last week, that we would put him on a shelf until times are tough and then we pull him back off the shelf that's not what he came for not a religious system not just to forgive us you see jesus came to bring us into a personal relationship with the father this is a big deal it's not just about forgiveness i done wrong and now i need to ask and say i'm sorry i gotta say lord please forgive me uh, i'm sorry and move forward he does forgive and that was uh one of the main reasons he came but that's not the only reason that he came he came so that we could have life and have it to the full we could have a relationship with the father one that was new and fresh every morning, one, uh, one that we could pass on to our children, uh, one that never got old, one that, that continually helped us to grow deeper and deeper and want more and more every day. You see, he came to bring a relationship that did not require a religious system. In fact, he wants to live inside me. That's why... The Bible says that I am the temple. I am the temple. In fact, we are the church. We are the ecclesia. Uh, the church is not made up of a building with a bunch of chairs or a bunch of pews or, or a bunch of carpet, whatever it is that we argue about. We argue about a lot of stuff in the church. <laughs> uh, that's not the church. We are the church. It's the individuals. If this church were to burn down today and we were to meet tomorrow somewhere else, the church would still go on. We are the church. He didn't come for a religious system. He came to give a relationship. He wants to live inside of me. He wants to set his temple inside of me. He wants to change me from the inside out. Oh, church, I'm getting excited. This is great stuff. In fact, it was Jeremiah, not my son Jeremiah, but Jeremiah the prophet, uh, Jeremiah the prophet who wrote and said that he was a spring of living water. In fact, that's found in Jeremiah. There's a lot of different references in the Old Testament to the spring that God has given us, but Jeremiah uh, has a, a, a great message in chapter 17, verse 13. He reads like this, O Lord, the hope of Israel... All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. You see, this isn't a new thing Jesus is introducing. Jesus isn't saying something that this young woman says, wow, uh, I've never heard it said that way before. In fact, God is referred to as the spring of living water. Jeremiah refers to it that way. David says how he longs for this spring of water, this refreshing water from God to quench the thirst of our souls. You see, he will quench our thirst for righteousness if I follow him because he will keep the waters churning in our hearts oh church this is my favorite part he says to her not only would i give you water oh man but i would give you a spring of water welling up in your soul 
I would keep the water churning. I would keep the water fresh. I would keep something in this relationship up to date. The waters of righteousness, if you allow me to live inside of you, will be churning in your heart. The well will not run dry. You'll have this water that is overflowing, the Spirit of God that cannot be quenched. You see, with Him in our hearts, our relationship will be fresh and not stagnant. With him in my life and in my heart, this well that Jesus promises, man, can you see how this is a radical change in the ministry? Can you see how this is a radical change from anything anybody's ever preached up until this time? He says, I want to give you a well that's inside of you that'll last forever. Not a one-time thing, but I want something that every day will be new and fresh because our relationship with the Lord is not supposed to be stagnant. It's not supposed to be status quo. It's not supposed to be the same it was 10 years ago. There should be a new and fresh. The well should be uh, churning inside of our souls. One of my favorite preachers told a story of how when he grew up as a boy, he had two ponds on his farm. And there were two ponds that, uh, that he grew up with. And uh, one, <laughs> uh, one was, uh, well, it was a pond. I mean, it was, uh, uh, smelled, uh, the, uh, it was all mucky and smelled. That's where you got the, the frogs and the leeches and you got all the, all, the, all the smelly, stinky stuff. The wood was in there and it was uh, rotting branches. Everything was rotting. It was, uh, it, boy, it was, uh, it was the smell of death. In fact, if he played in that pond, he wasn't allowed to come in unless they hosed him off outside. But there was another pond, a pond that everybody went to, the pond that he often went to. It, it was always full of cool water. It, it was always fresh and never stunk, and it was something that they used to uh, water the, the horses and to take care of things. They, they used that water constantly. That's where they swam, and that's where they spent most of their time. Nobody really went down to the pond. Everybody stayed in that water that was so nice. He often wondered as a little boy, why is one stinky and stagnant and the other fresh and the water always cool? Until his dad told him about how the one that he swam in all the time, the one that was fresh and cool, had a natural spring that kept the waters churning and kept the waters flowing. And so the water was good to drink. The water was good to use. The water was useful. And, but the other one had no spring, no water running to it. The water just sat there stagnant. And so everything began to stink and began to rot and began to die. You see, when I think of my relationship with Jesus, it really can only be one of two ponds. Either I'm in a pond that has fresh water churning every day, or I'm in a pond that's stagnant, and it stinks, and I'm not growing, and it's not healthy. Would you stand with me this morning? We're only midway through <laughs> this change. Praise God. Hopefully you'll come back next week.
I just have a few questions. We're going to open up our altars. If God is speaking to you, don't hesitate. But I got a few questions. Am I tired? Am I tired of pretending to be something that I'm not? And will I confess my mess? Am I willing to confess my mess? Preacher, you don't understand. Everybody thinks that I got my life put together. Everybody thinks I'm walking hand in hand with Jesus. I think even the preacher sometimes needs to confess his mess. Because God can't restore us and change us until we confess our mess. Have I been trying to to earn forgiveness and restoration? Or today, will I simply just ask? Oh, and lastly, is there a spring of living water churning inside of me? Or is the water that is inside of me, the water that represents my relationship with God, has it gone stagnant lately? I, I don't know about everybody else. We're going to sing, change my heart, oh God. And we're just going to sing one time through. If you're afraid of coming up here because what people will say about you, then I'll go first. If the preacher can go, trust me, they'll be gossiping about him all week. They won't even worry about you. So if God's speaking to you, would you come? Would you allow God to change you? I'm tired. (laughs) I want to do it his way and not my way. Would you join me? Amen. Change my heart. Church, the message doesn't end here. It's a powerful message, a challenging message. May you let God speak to you all throughout the week. And if you ever have a moment where you got to confess your mess, do it so God can restore you. Just simply ask, oh, and make sure that water is churning, that it's fresh, living water. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, you've challenged me today. Lord, you've challenged me to not just be comfortable. Uh, Lord, to, uh, to not allow the water to go stagnant. Lord, you're challenging me to make sure there's nothing between me and you. That you didn't come to set up a religious system where I make mistakes and then ask for forgiveness and we repeat every week. You came to have relationship with me, a personal relationship that's new and fresh every morning. So, Lord, may I make sure the water never is stagnant. Oh, Lord, may I make sure that I'm not in the way of the well that you've placed in my life. Lord, I pray you challenge each and every one of us, change us, rearrange us, and make us just like you. Oh, Lord, I pray that you be with us next week as we celebrate our graduates and we celebrate uh, uh, those, uh, Lord, who've graduated and done great things. But, Lord, may you bring us back to the challenge that you have for each and every one of us as we come back to this scripture next week. Oh, Lord, I pray that none of us leave here the same, that we always remember that it doesn't matter what we've done. What matters is we confess our mess and ask for you to love us, to help us, to restore us. Oh, Lord, may that be our passion this week, this month, this year. May we put you first in all that we do. We love you, Jesus. And we ask this all in your precious, 
holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you this morning. May he spring up a well in your heart today. God bless you. You are dismissed.